The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. Now, comedy legend Kevin McAleer has announced that he's going to retire from stand-up. This is after forty year career. He's going to be doing two farewell gigs in Belfast and Dublin. He's in Vicar Street in Dublin and April, and he's with us this morning. Kevin, how are you? I'm very good. Now, I was thinking about this and I could understand if you were um, someone like that frenetic little fella called Ian something from the UK mm. where I could see the exhaustion taking its toll. But your comedy stylings are not known for being hugely energetic. So why not just keep going into your dotage? I take your point. I've never worked very hard. <laughs> Let's put it bluntly. <laughs> I've never worked very hard uh, at any point, you know. And um, my wife was, uh, one of the neighbours was asking uh, my wife what I was up to. And she said uh, I was retiring. And he just threw back his head and laughed because uh, it's a well-known fact that I've never worked that hard anyway. But uh, at the same time, I haven't done anything else, you know. So you're always kind of, uh, you're always in that zone, you know, like whether, you know, I've never written very quickly either. I'd be a lot richer if I wrote my material faster. But um even though I, I've never uh, killed myself uh, with hard work, you're you're still in that zone all the but, time. But no, sir, I, this is making you're you're finding the most pejorative possible implication of what I was suggesting. I was merely saying that you weren't an energetic stage presence. I wasn't suggesting that the craft was not a, a lot of work behind the scenes. Oh yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I don't mean to sound defensive either, but. Uh, um, where? Would you not keep your hand in a little? Do the odd gig now and then? It seems very absolute to call it. Yeah, bits. I suppose I have been in that sort of a half stage for a couple of years. You know, I have been keeping my hand in a little, but what I haven't been doing is writing new material. And uh, I, I suppose uh, during lockdown, it went from uh, I, I evolved from uh, a long period of, of and that happens throughout a career. Career anyway, sometimes you're more productive than others, but. Uh, uh, it went from not having a kind of a writer's block to a realization that I, I wasn't that interested really in in writing anything new. You know that that it went from not being able to to not wanting to. At some point, there was a tipping point, and then, and then it dawned on me it might be a good idea to just draw a line under it. You know, and dip into the back catalogue and come up with a greatest hits package, and that was a very exciting idea. So I, I like the idea of drawing a line under it, you know. And uh, so that's what the gigs are going to be. They are a greatest hits. Yeah, yeah. It's just I've just gone back to you know over uh, forty years and just picking out um, the, my favorite, my own favorite bits of my shows. And uh, there's a lot of work involved in in making that into a smooth thing with the flow to it. You know, much more than I realized. Uh, you think that when your material is written, that uh, you've done most of the work, but uh, uh, I'm having to drag it. I, I'm having to drag out of myself material I've written already. You know, so there's no let up in the in the hard work of of putting the stuff together. Did any of it surprise you, or did you? Were you? Is any of it so far in the past that when you reread it or rewatched it, it came as if it was from somebody else? Did you make yourself laugh? No, <laughs> at no at no point did I laugh. Uh, I mean, it's it's so well um, embedded in my brain, you know. That Is it? I suppose you need an element of surprise to laugh, you know. And, uh, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not surprised by my own material anymore. But what did surprise me was the, the challenge of of getting it to uh, to gel together, you know, uh, and to, and to have a flow to it. 
and also to uh, sort of um, accommodate the different. Uh, there's a few different personas in there, and suddenly I found that you know that they had met each other for the first time. So, you know, introduce these personas and try to reconcile the different angles, and is a, a very enjoyable challenge involved in it as well. Working with old material. Talk to me a little bit about the creation of those personas, because you have one of the most distinctive comedic characters in 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 your stage performance. Where did that come from? Um, I, I, if I knew that, I'd, you know, as I say, I'd be, I'd be a lot a lot richer than I am now because you just kind of have to wait for them to to emerge. You know, like the Nighthawks persona, the old slow talking uh, character. I just that came out of improvising to an old VHS camera in in the corner of my bedroom, you know, and uh, just playing around with voices and slipped into that uh, sort of an old Northern Ireland farmer Shanaki type character, and the next thing I knew, I had you know forty five minutes of of raw material to work with. Uh, the show after that, my main show was called Chalk and Cheese, and that character was a very uh, paranoid individual who had a lot of slippage of language, you know. And this is something that's always interested me as well, you know, the um, the language of schizophrenia and, and the mentality, the originality of thought of it. So I did a lot of research around that. And then most recently I had a character who was a guru, you know, a very wise, in inverted commas, very rich and um, a very high-profile, famous guru who travelled around the world spreading enlightenment and giving talks which were very expensive to get into you know <laughs> and suppose supposedly a very holy character but just a charlatan really when you you know after about 20 seconds of listening to the complete nonsense coming out of his mouth do i get the sense that you are therefore cynical about that style of mindfulness guru meditation all of that well there are there are genuine ones but i think there's a lot of people just cashing in as well you know and I'm very tickled by the the sort of the the uh, contrast uh, or, or the paradox between all the spirituality and all the selling that goes on. You know, you get all the all the spirituality, and it's piled on thick. And then down at the bottom, there's the you know there's the five thousand pound you know cost for it, and then there's the bit about if you're struggling to, uh, to get in touch with you know to deal with that amount of money. You know, get in touch, and we, you know, we won't turn anybody away. And then they have a wonderful thing called uh, pay, payment by installments. You know, what a wonderful spiritual idea that no one gets left out. <laughs> so the spiritual installment is just a fantastic invention. Capitalism should uh, <laughs> should should take up that idea. In I can see in the in the the characters like the guru. It is an easy character, I imagine, to use to to control and to to lead an audience. I would have thought either the sort of the slightly confused farmer or the one rooted with the paranoia is that a difficult thing to do live? Because you can't you can't overpower an audience while being desperately introverted and slightly confused. Yeah, that's true. But then you can go to the other extreme and and just be very slow and leave a lot of pauses, you know. And that's does that uh, not take a lot of bravery with a live crowd? Well. I didn't, you know, like I came up with that um, Nighthawks persona for television and I didn't think of it as a live show and I didn't think it would work as a live show. I thought it would be too slow, you know, and that people would be just filling in the gaps, you know, um, and shouting things up at you. But I was very pleasantly surprised by the way that it drew people in, you know, and that people 
were prepared to leave the pauses there as long as they were engaged with the show. So it was um it was a a wonderful bonus that all those little bits that were generated for to direct a camera for TV worked a treat live and and, and am I right and, in saying that effectively there was a sort of a thirty year gap between its TV revelation in that there was the Nighthawks version and then to some extent the Derry Girls character is that mm-hmm. character again isn't it? Yeah but he's certainly related I mean, <laughs> I, mean the, the, I mean you know Lisa McGee wrote every word of the Uncle Colin character but Oh he, did she? Oh you didn't do any of the writing for that? Oh no, no. God she found the voice well didn't she? Oh she's, she's just word perfect you know but he, he's obviously distantly related to to the old Nighthawks guy he could be he could, could, be, could be my own uncle you know or uh, let, let me try to process that myself. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, he, he's definitely related. But she wrote every word of that and wrote it perfectly. What was the experience of Dairy Girls, and what was your reaction to seeing how successful it became? It was just a thrill. It was like uh, you know, it was like the original thrill of doing the Nighthawks thing and and the way it took off. You know, it was like a take two of that. You know, because obviously I knew the script was wonderful, but. Um, you can't predict how it's going to be received, and I think you know, no one could have predicted how how the whole world would. You know, it didn't resonate. It resonated not just in Ireland but worldwide. No one could have predicted that. I don't think and it's a testament to the to the power of the writing. I think. What then about Nighthawks? Because when we look back at Nighthawks, to some extent, Nighthawks has now been so connected to the the collapse of the Haughey government and the the revolutions uh, revelations from the former Minister for Justice in relation to phone tapping and all of that kind of stuff, that that is sort of what defines it to a generation. At the time, it was revolutionary. It was seen as hugely innovative. Did did you have that sense of being at the sort of the the leading edge of something new and different and creative? Very much so. There was nothing quite like it, you know, and. Uh, it was almost like five programs rolled into one. There was, you know, it was, it was a multimedia uh, thing as well. There's so many elements to it, and it, it worked so well together in that setup, you know. And and uh, I think it could have it could have kind of spawned uh, a lot of spin-off things, but somehow it uh, it didn't uh, it, it, it or it wasn't allowed to, to develop. You know, I think uh, it was. Uh, it seemed chaotic, or yeah. was it? Was there a lot of work in making it seem chaotic? Like I was never on the set. I was never on the, the live set of Nighthawks. Uh, all my stuff was just done in back rooms, dressing rooms. You know, just to to camera wherever you could find a a space to to do it to point a camera at me. So all my stuff was pre-recorded and just dropped in. I, you know, I was never on the actual... And, and, and never set. even out of curiosity, you say, lads, listen, can I drop in? for? Because yeah. there was sort of a, a bar-style thing where you could have hung yeah. around in the background. No. Yeah, but uh, like it never occurred to me to say, could I drop in either? You know, like it was very strange. Uh, I was in a very strange bubble. So you talked about distilling down 40 years into 90 minutes. The 90 minutes are going to be on Vicar Street in Dublin, 11th of April, and then Belfast Mandela Hall on the 21st of April. From all of it, what was your best or favourite gig now that you've done the full look back? One that comes to mind, and uh, I've said this before, but in the Olympia Theatre when the Nighthawks thing, you know, went went big uh, for me in a live way, you know, the live spin-off of it. And uh, it was the first time, I suppose, that I had experienced um, do, doing, a, doing my own show to, uh, you know, a, a big audience. And uh, just riding the crest of a wave of laughter, you know, and 
you know, I've had that experience many times since, but the first time it happened was just very special where you got to a point where there was a momentum generated where you could just, you know, uh, sit on the surfboard and allow these this big wave to carry you. Not it must be I've, the most amazing Not feeling. that I've ever surfed, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, uh, to, to get to the point, because you're working so hard on stage to, to keep the salmon balls juggling, juggled in the air at the same time, and you're always thinking two seconds ahead. Um, but to suddenly find yourself uh, able to enjoy the moment of, you know, of uh, of sheer pleasure of, of 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 these waves of laughter, that was that was that was very special and something you know something I'll never forget. The first time I experienced it. Final thing then, what next? I'm going to do nothing for a minute for 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 for, for more than a minute. Uh, I'm just going to leave a space and um, sit back and and see what happens next. I've got a lot of little bits of writing and I've always written uh, bits on the side and left them in various drawers around the house and uh, I'm going to leave them there but at some point whatever length it takes I'm going to you know sort of look look what's in there and think about what I might do with them Well enjoy the nothing and we look forward to whatever comes next uh, That is Kevin McAleer if you want to see Kevin McAleer with his, his best of the classic hits the 40 years distilled into 90 minutes he's Vicar Street 11th of April and Belfast 21st of April Thanks very much Kevin Thanks for having me The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine. On News Talk.